Welcome to Meta Talks. This podcast is brought to you by Meta. We support startups, industry and government with sustainable technology-driven innovation. Here you will hear from amazing individuals on topics around startups, innovation, sustainability and dive deeper into industries like aerospace or energy. Welcome to Meta Talks. I'm your host, Will, and I will be taking you through today's episode. Uh, delighted to have Dom Hallis, Executive Director of the Coalition for a Digital Economy, or CODEC, with me today. If you haven't come across CODEC before, CODEC is the policy voice for tech startups and scale-ups in the UK and works very closely with the tech ecosystem and UK government. They've been instrumental in some of the biggest policy updates that are relevant to technology in the UK over the last 18 months. Future Fund in the UK government's pandemic response, a bunch of Brexit-specific policy and all that kind of stuff as well. Uh, it's a really interesting uh, chat with Dom, talking through all sorts of weird and wonderful government and startup collaborations, doing a clubhouse talk with the Chancellor and a few things in between. As always, thanks for uh, joining us and enjoy the show. Great to have you here. Thanks again for the time. We'll talk in more detail about Codec kind of later on. But first off, give us a kind of an introduction to you personally and how you ended up in the kind of the policy space and, and where you are today. Yeah, so first, thanks very much for having me. So what what's the sort of dumb story i guess so i kind of i took over at codec in 2018 and for those that don't know codex a, a lobby group for, for tech startups in the uk so we spend all of our time talking to government about what matters for startups in terms of public policy uh, so whether that's talent you know immigration and skills or finance like access to capital all that kind of stuff um or regulation you know everything from data protection to online arms but I'd kind of come from a background in politics. So I'd worked on technology policy as a consultant, working for a consulting lobbying firm. Uh, but I'd also worked at a bunch of different places. So uh, the Bloomberg Foundation, so Michael Bloomberg's private philanthropy organization called Bloomberg Philanthropies. And for the government as a, as a civil servant working on Brexit at the Department for Agency in the European Union. So kind of had a bit of a smorgasbord of a career. And one of the sort of nice things, I guess, is I'd always seen these really interesting companies gradually bubbling up over the course of my kind of 10-year policy career. And then in 2018, I got the chance to work with them much more directly through through Codec, and I've been enjoying that for sort of three and a half years at this point. Awesome. Yeah, we had uh, the Depop acquisition in the news today, so nice to see another British company doing well. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's, 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 been, it's been a really exciting period, I think, like, you know, and I know you've been sort of in this sort of same experience as me the same sort of period and and like you've seen companies that we worked with as as codec and not me personally because i only took over three and a bit years ago but but as an organization codec was founded in 2010 and so we've seen the development of the ecosystem through that period and seen the the companies you know that were super early stage at one point now growing and scaling to mega numbers and and also the the development of the ecosystem itself to the point where you can get acquisitions for what was it one and a half billion today in the case, 6, case yeah. of depop 1.6 billion and 
you know, that that's not that's not that unusual. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's like, oh cool, that's good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, wow, this is like a mega event. And I and I think that really reflects like the mature maturity of what we've sort of become, I guess. I mean, I, I haven't been quite involved since twenty ten, but the last five or six years as I've kind of been deep into the UK tech ecosystem, it's been it's developed significantly since my time as a founder. But yeah, you you kind of touched on kind of joining Codec and what you've done since. But talk, talk us through, I mean, we'll start with the two kind of big ones or the, the elephants in the room. Talk us through how Codec's been involved in the pandemic. And once we talk through that, then the the B word. Yeah, okay. So we'll do we'll do COVID first. We'll do the easy one first, eh? Um, and then, so so I think like in terms of, in terms of the pandemic, it's really interesting, and and we're kind of reflecting on this now in June 2021, having been working on on Zoom for a year and a bit at this point, I guess in most cases. And and I think like the the really thing to remember is is almost you have to cast your mind back to what it was like in March last year in order to to understand what the risks were and what we ended up doing with the startup community. So I, I really vividly remember. <laughs> on Jan on, on March the 9th it was because it was or maybe it was in March then a few days before the budget in March last year I remember I went to a round table with the Chancellor Rishi Sunak who'd just been appointed a month before and we had an in-person round table at the Treasury with a bunch of other industry like body leaders so from different industries and we talked about the budget and COVID was barely mentioned at this conversation and then within two weeks we were in national it. lockdown yeah, yeah. and you know like it was sort of the world had ended as we knew it and because of that like the the shift suddenly to this environment where the startup ecosystem had been booming it was all going super well like the data was showing it was another bumper year to every investor sitting on their hands to like angels fleeing the market to companies who you know might be in a vertical where their business has essentially been shut down like there was it was there was overnight and it was just real chaos in the market Um, and so we kind of immediately were like okay well something has to be done here like there's going to be a liquidity crisis and the government acknowledged that in other parts of the economy because they built these packages you know whether it's the c bills or like later on the the bounce back loans um and also you know at the higher end some access to to um commercial paper through the bank of england but for startups like you can't take loan financing in most cases because the business models don't allow it and you know for various other reasons and so there was always this gap so we kind of uh, designed a proposal that we put to government along with a bunch of kind of 50 funds and a wide range of startups uh, with which is what became the, the future fund which is now uh, sort of given out about 1.2 billion in capital and and then had 1.2 billion in matching capital from from the private sector so 2.4 billion overall deployed like as a result of the fund's creation which by no means was perfect as a sort of fund as and i remember spending an awful lot of time being criticized for it which i was quite happy to do and that's appropriate of the community to, to ask the question but we think like it made a huge difference and it really sort of like allowed a bunch of firms that wouldn't have had the opportunity that ability to extend their runway and, and and support themselves through that period and i can talk about the other things we did in the pandemic but i just took finally in the future fund for a minute like well the exciting thing for me was arkit which also took money from the future fund through the course of last year uh, actually listed via spac on the nasdaq in the last month <laughs> which is sort of so a true success yeah, of the yeah. future fund so far is the ability of one of its companies within a year to list and so yeah it's, it shows like that the 
you know, what was important to me was we kept saying that the Future Fund was the only government bailout package that would make the government money. Yeah. And we're still pretty confident that what we'll see, and despite the fact that like the design is ultimately about supporting the companies through a crisis, that it will pay for itself. And I think that's that's very exciting. So we did a lot of work on that and then a bunch of other stuff that was much more sort of small ball, I suppose, and, and not as perhaps exciting, but supported a bunch of businesses through that period too. Yeah. And I, I, the, the mechanism of the startups that survive and then make it big, means that it doesn't take very many for the government to recoup its money. But when, yeah. when did the Future Fund come online? So in the end, I think it, so it opened for business, on I think, in May. So we kind of spent, I remember, it was a really ex- weird period because, like I so said, we kind of, it was myself and, and a bunch of others ended up sort of writing the proposal on around the 16th, 17th, 18th of March. And then the government announced that they were going to do it about a month later and then it took about a month to, to put it online through. so yeah. it, you know and, and actually like I, and all credit to them like you know they said not perfect scheme in in many ways but but the ability to to act first quickly and turn around and say we're going to build what is essentially now the largest venture fund in, in europe in the course of two months like it was extraordinary lift for government and a lot of the particular civil servants who were involved in the creation as well as rishi and his immediate team around him people like you know they deserve deserve huge credit for that actually yeah so deploying 1.2 billion sterling matched by the private sector in 13 months it's not bad yeah it's, it's pretty it's extraordinary and 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 if you talk to companies about it as well like their experience of, of the way it's operated has been really good right yeah. and and the reason why that was possible and and this was always the core challenge and it was what provoked some debate in the community at the time was like well, you do that by by entrusting the due diligence to the matching investor. Yes. So the idea is like if you have got a matching investor, you know that's the, that's a validation of the value of the investment, and you know, and that's enough for the government to say, okay, we'll put the money in in, in that particular emergency case and the way they built the fund. And and I think that that was like you know that was obviously risky by its nature. Like, and of course, that's that's a risky way of doing business. You wouldn't necessarily advocate that as the exact way to do venture capital. But in that situation, like, and the benefit that the government approach had, and I think it's a really interesting quirk and reflects a little bit on some of the practices that we're seeing evolve in venture from people like Tiger Global, actually, is they'll deploy that capital in such a vast manner that they've spread their risk by default because they're in so many things that like they won't see full venture returns, but they've certainly spread their risk. And I, and I I'll be yeah, it'll be interesting to see exactly how that plays out in terms of returns in the long run for the government. And like I said, we're we're confident they'll at least get their money back, which I think is extraordinary for a bailout. Uh, but yeah, I think there's some probably some really interesting kind of lessons about how to do capital in this space as well from it uh, for people yeah. who are cleverer than me to understand. And and quick capital as well, which uh, so we, we had a couple of companies in the ATI Boeing Accelerator portfolio who took future fund money or were able to get future fund money very quickly. And they are still here today because of that fact. So it's it's nice to see it's it's done its job. But I mean, just before we go on to the less positive topic, uh, it'd be interesting to get kind of a quick look back at how what the process for setting that precedent was like. Because as you said, you worked with a huge amount of the community, but every different kind of stakeholder group in the tech ecosystem did it very quickly and then created something new with government, which again, very quickly. So that, that can't have been a particularly pleasant couple of months for you. Yeah. So, so, so do you know what, like, as in, if you don't enjoy that stuff, then I wouldn't do the job. So like, it, it was certainly a kind of, it was quite an exhilarating thing to work on at the end of the day, you know, like you don't, 
you don't get a billion pounds out of the government every day. Um, it, it was challenging for a couple of different reasons. The first is like you can't please everyone. Like, and, and one of the challenges that we had, and, and I, I know this because I, I remember the first week the government announced the scheme in April, I went and did, I think, about 15 webinars with different people in the community about what the scheme looked like. And a lot of people were justifiably very upset because they weren't able to access it. And, and like, and in truth, like I completely understood that. And in many cases, I agreed with them. And that was we'd set out a position, not just myself, but a bunch of other people who've been engaging the government on it, that it should be designed one way, and the government moved it in a slightly different direction for reasons that I understood, but but didn't necessarily support. And I think that it was always hard to explain because we'd kind of intentionally been the public face of it in the community in many cases and been out there advocating, like that you don't just get what you ask for. Like, and I think that that was like a that's a life lesson for people in the way in which these things have developed, but also because there was like legitimate disagreement about like you know what appropriate level of bailout package would be. I remember having like quite vigorous arguments with people in the community that I respect deeply. Like I, I think at some point I wrote a fairly fairly scathing critique of something <laughs> that Robin Klein had written. I remember, and, like, and the reason. And the reason why was because, like, I disagreed about the core analysis. Like, as yeah. in now, and it's entirely legitimate to have both analyses. Like, as in it was like, it wasn't, you know, I could see absolutely from, from Robin's perspective why he saw the market that way. And I disagreed. And, you know, a bunch of people in the community disagreed. And I think that the, the challenge was almost like, well, how do you, you know, how do you mash together those ideas in a way? And But one thing that we were really conscious of at Codec is we built the coalition that became the Save Our Startups campaign that had sort of 6,000 signatures or something and, and built a coalition of groups around it was that, you know, and it's the difference between sort of doing politics and doing policy, if that makes sense, is like the, the mass is the value. And then at the end of the day, like the output isn't going to be exactly what you ask for. And I think that's why I was less worried about the argument in many cases, because in truth, like, we we're arguing for something separate to what the output would be anyway. So it was like it was really about like moving the government in that direction, and then you can fight over the specifics. Like, but until you've until we've got a bailout to fight over, like there's no point there's no in point. arguing. Like, yeah. so it was so it was always a bit it was a bit facile in my view, and and I guess like that was like, but it, but in general, I mean, what I would say is like you know I'm sort of uh, you know moaning around the edges, but actually what we saw was like a huge amount of support from the community and and people piling in and. I remember at one point, uh, Oliver Dowden, who is still the digital secretary now and was at the time, said, you know, Dom, I think I've heard the same three lines that was, you know, the core of what our campaign around it was delivered to me by 150 different stakeholders. And like that was reflective of the fact that people understood what the lines were and understood how to deliver them. And, you know, but also like that they really supported what was what was happening. And at the time when the sort of not just the future fund, but the additional capital for Innovate UK, which the government also provided at the time, was given. I think we were the only sector of the economy that had had a specific bailout, um, and like that, I think that was a pretty big achievement and a reflection. Not just I hope of Codex work, but also the work the that everyone else put in to to make the effort. Absolutely, the community as a whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like we we talked at the time, and I had a couple of conversations with John Spindler at Capital Enterprise, and the kind of the bunch of startups that we've worked with, but the. I think that was the thing that I noticed was just how collaborative everyone was been, potentially because it was such an absolute nightmare of a situation and everyone was kind of seeing the world ending. But it was it was really heartening to see everyone kind of pull together and the output to be such a positive kind of outcome. Yeah, absolutely. No, and, and I and I should say like I think I think the one thing that we learned at Codec and is you know and, and we can talk about it in the context of Brexit, I'm sure in a minute as well. And it's like is that 
what it showed is that policy and politics matter to startups in the sense of not just in the sense of like founders care about it when it matters to them, but also like there are, there are always going to be these moments where suddenly the role of government is very important. And it turns out like this is why you have to have the ability to mobilize. This is why you have to have the ability to argue your case. Because if you don't have that, then in those moments of crisis, like who is able to go and like call on those relationships, who is able to go and like advocate, what are we going to be able to collaboratively say? And I think that we found our, over the course of the past year at Codec, like, you know, I said, we've been going for 10 years and there are years when actually it turns out it's all going fine and like startups don't have that many problems and, you know, it's sort of rumbling along. And then there are moments when suddenly like this big problem lands on the doorstep and actually like they're the moments, you know, weirdly during the, during the sort of easy years are the times when people say, well, why, you know, do we need to put the effort in or like, is it really necessary to turn up at these dinners and harry politicians? And the answer is yes. Cause there'll be one day where it turns out there's a big problem and you need to go fix it. Yeah. Yeah. The third week of March, 2020. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to spend a huge amount of time on it because it's such a miserable topic, but let's, let's have a quick chat about Brexit and what you personally and then what Codec have done in terms of policy politics with the tech sector. That's presumably still ongoing. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so, I mean, look, like the after effects of this stuff are going to be felt for an awfully long time and, I know, you know, from, from your time at Ignite and obviously they're still operating in Northern Ireland and like the reality is like somewhere like that, like they will be ongoing for a very long time. And, and I think there's like, look, there's two, so I see this two different ways. One, because I, like I said, I spent some time as a civil servant, as a diplomat working working on Brexit, the Department for Exiting the European Union. And so I, I sort of talked a lot with foreign officials from, from different European countries at the time and also with a bunch of stakeholders in the UK. But from a startup perspective, there are sort of two core areas that actually, well, three, two or three core areas where the, the most impact was noted from Brexit. And the government has done some mitigation on all of them that doesn't necessarily solve the problem, but solves some of the problem and there'll still be problems that remain, right? So first is access to talent. Like as in the reality is like freedom of movement ending is like disastrous for tech sector. Let's be super clear. Like as in, and so that was always going to be a problem and that problem persisted not just because, you know, quite literally loads of people come from Europe and work here, but also because then the startups are built by those people. And so both in quite a economic sense, but also in a cultural sense, the startup ecosystem is international, feels that that is a sensible way in which to operate and misses that ability to flexibly move and work. But in a really kind of pragmatic policy sense, like actually the government, to be fair to them, have tried to mitigate some of those challenges. And so we've been working with the government on the new tech visas that were announced in the budget this year. Uh, one of which will be what well, they're going to be calling a scale-up visa, although scale-up will be defined pretty broadly, I think it's fair to say, in order to allow unsponsored access to visas for tech workers to come in, which will be hugely beneficial. And there's going to be a separate route for entrepreneurs where essentially if you have investment from a credible investor, you will be able to almost immediately get a visa in the United Kingdom if you wanted to move here and, and set up either set up your business here or in many cases, it's people who have raised money from a VC in, in the UK, for example, and would be moving here to establish the business in practice, even if they'd originally set it up somewhere else in Europe, for example. And so like, you know, they're two like really tangible things that the government have done like to, to address some of the challenge and and the points-based system which has come in in terms of immigration that's replaced the, the prior system is not actually a bad deal for the tech sector in terms of like if you wanted to hire a tech worker 
you can do so relatively easily and get them a visa. The challenge is the bureaucracy of that system, which is still a huge pain in the ass for startups. And that's the biggest problem. And the second biggest problem is is cost of the system. And then the final and third sort of core problem is is pace of the system. So obviously the benefit of freedom of movement was that you could hire someone from Berlin on a Friday and they could start working in London on a Monday and that would be absolutely fine. And now you can't do that anymore. And so that's like one area where, you know, on, on our Brexit mystery tour that there's going to be an issue. The second was around access to finance. And so, you know, a lot of venture capital money came from the European Investment Bank and like, what does that mean for, you know, VCs in the United Kingdom? What does it mean for the funds that are then invested? And the reality is what it means is a lot of those funds will still stay headquartered in the UK, but are taking EIB money to invest into Europe, essentially, not into the UK. So people have gradually changed their focus. And what will that mean for the local ecosystem? And the government has responded to that by putting more money out through the BBB and the, the British Business Bank. But the distinction is that the BBB tends to be a slightly more more politically influenced body than something like the EIB. So the priorities of the BBB can change much more rapidly with different governments. And, you know, the emphasis can change and this sort of political commitment is required in order to consistently keep the money flow up that is important for things like the venture ecosystem in a way that, you know, one of the things about the European Union, for good or bad, is that budgets basically remain the same, the same or increase pretty much forevermore. And so, like, actually, like, there's kind of that stability that came with the EIB. And then the, the final thing is things like the regulatory environment. And so, data flows was the big one that we spent an awful lot of time working on, like, you know, data, data flows from the UK to the EU and vice versa. And again, like that, you know, actually the government did a, did a pretty good job on that and listened to the tech ecosystem, understood that, that an adequacy agreement with Europe was the only sensible way to proceed and, and went out and got one. And so, like, I think there's, you know, there are always going to be a myriad of problems. You know, I, I'm sure I could sing you a song about the challenges of e-commerce in the time of sort of Brexit. And, and but but I think that there's, what what we found over the past kind of year and a bit, certainly in the sort of post-Brexit world, I guess, is that generally speaking, there's, you know, a lot of optimism because we're continuing to see the burgeoning success of the ecosystem, you know, regardless of what's happened with Brexit. And so whilst it's been a trying time, I think, for policy people, uh, particularly me who thought I'd sort of jumped out of the Brexit frying pan and then jumped back into it with the startup community, you know, this, this hopefully looking slightly to the future now on, on bits and bobs as well. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. And uh, you kind of touched on it with the response to pandemic and the collaborative approach to everyone getting involved when they needed to get involved in kind of policy politics and what what you guys do at Codec. But in terms of the, I guess, the, the kind of the creation story of how Codec came about, the, as we've said already, the landscape 10 years ago was hugely different but that someone clearly recognized the need to have someone kind of flying the tech flag. Is it still as important today? I mean, clearly we've already decided that yeah. it has given what you've managed to achieve with, with Brexit and the pandemic, but that collaboration between technology and, and the, the kind of the innovation industry and then government, that's, that's, there's clearly something there. So, there are three buckets that we really work on at Codec, talent, finance, and regulation. And on the first two buckets, on like talent and finance, like what we find is the government have pretty consistently been trying to do the right thing for a long time, and they might make mistakes by accident, but actually they acknowledge their challenges and they want to address them and they want to support businesses in accessing capital and accessing talent. Like It's the third bucket and the regulatory environment is where 
we find that actually it's a harder sled to push. And that's because the government wants to regulate the tech sector more than they did when we were set up in 2010. And they want to regulate in a myriad of creative and different ways that can have terrible adverse effects on the sector if they're not well considered. And I think that that's where we probably end up devoting more of our attention, precisely because it's the areas that require a, the most expertise, meaning that if you're a normal founder, like you just don't spend every day thinking about it, and rightfully so. Like, but B, it's the area where government requires the expertise as well. Because in truth, like they need the inputs from the community on what these different regulatory mechanisms, whether that's over data, whether that's over content online, whether that's in competition policy, you know, that what what impact will that have and, and how can they get feedback on it? And so that's what we you know, that that's the sort of growth area in terms of our work, like despite the, you know, very high importance that we place on all all of it. So Yeah. And you kind of touched on it earlier in terms of the regulatory frameworks and the kind of the uh, potentially changing political landscapes given how the UK political ecosystem is structured or timed given that kind of potentially regular change in kind of political leadership what impact does that have on kind of regulatory focus and, and areas of what the government wants to get involved in yeah it's it's huge it's you know it, it sort of comes but britain's a really weird country in terms of our political system right it's like the thing is if you have a majority in parliament you're you know you essentially have an elected like to dictatorship and then you can pass whatever you want that's how it works and then we get to vote you out every five years and the reality is like that means that if a new government comes in and they have a very clear agenda on the set of issues like then they're going to legislate and so actually the kind of past five years certainly since 2016 have been the unusual period where for various different reasons you've had us you know multiple different governments who were incapable of doing very much because it was thrown into such chaos as a result of the outputs of 2016 and so i think you know now we, we return to sort of a more typical order like what we're going to see is different agendas on different topics that will be impacting the tech sector that will pass through parliament in a way that is more typical and so you've got to engage on it through that process in order to impact it so whether that's the kind of fallout of um, much bigger longer term trends around the role of very large technology companies in not just our economy but our society and like how governments again not just in the uk but globally are thinking about that and mitigating it in some cases and in some cases making it worse by accident by the way in which they're regulating you know that that's going to have huge impacts on the tech community uh, huge impacts on data protection questions you do things like the gdpr which was the, you know the primary piece of legislation that has fallen out of that process so far um, but there'll be more to come but there's sort of data protection issues there's content policy issues when it comes to you know what how you're going to regulate social media uh, there's going to be competition issues and so there's kind of th- there are those sort of longer term trends that then naturally filter down and then are colored by the government of the day right so they're colored by in this case you know a conservative government but will be naturally impacted by the the views of a particular government or not on exactly how to deal with that particular problem yeah and um last question on kind of this theme but getting the two very very different sets of kind of stakeholders i.e government and technology communicating in a way that both parties understand what's that process been like for you i mean you've you've got background in government and kind of in tech as well but i imagine there's some interesting kind of stories there yeah you know it's so it's it's really it's a really important question. I think that's like this is actually cuts at the core of like the most important part of what we see our job 
us doing at Codec, which is like, it's that kind of translation between between government and, and startup world. And I think you have to start from the perspective that government and policymakers, whether that's MPs, whether that's officials in the civil service or, you know, whoever, like have a particular job to do and they're there to do it and they understand things based on their knowledge and understanding and background. And you have to be able to engage them on the territory they're on. And the same is true of startups. Like, the same is true of, of, of that world. And, and I always... When I used to work for the Bloomberg Foundation, I did two years working in India on a project with the Indian government. And, you know, you talk about sort of you know, the British government as a bureaucracy, the government of India is the largest bureaucracy in the world. And like, and the reality is that I sort of spent, spent two years trying to communicate between, you know, the foundation of a billionaire that, that made sort of his whole, you know, $50 billion fortune off the use of data and, you know, thinking about the way to, to sort of communicate data most effectively in a way that allowed financial services professionals to succeed. And then uh, a bureaucracy, which like absolutely was the opposite of that. And, and the answer is you kind of do it a bit at a time and you explain to, to the other side, we'll think about it from their perspective or we'll think about it from their perspective. And then you, you kind of provide the sprinklings of insights that neither individual group will have. So, you know, what we tend to do is we'll, put founders in the room with ministers or in the room with officials or in, you know, in the room with um, MPs. Um, and then we'll let them tell their stories, but we'll add the insights that that make it pop to the, to the MPs or the officials or the, or the policymakers by saying, and so that experience, you know, so say you're talking about immigration policy and someone says, well, I was trying to hire someone and, you know, it was really burdensome. And we'll say, well, you see, they're saying it's burdensome and we've surveyed people and X percentage of people said it was burdensome. So that's a common thread. Like, you know I mean, and, and just highlighting it in the, you know, how do you build using the narratives of individual founders and individual companies, but provide the data that sits on top of it and also provide the kind of political framing and the, the policy framing that allows them to understand it in that broader context, because that's ultimately what they care about is like, how do you improve public policy? And so that's a sort of slightly long-winded answer of basically saying, we do our best and, and hope it works, really. <laughs> yeah. And and kind of to nicely wrap that up, if someone's kind of a founder or working in tech, how do they get involved? How can they kind of join what you guys are doing? Yeah. So, so, so first of all, absolutely just reach out to us is the, is the reality. Like, you know, we have a really open community and we run it that way. We don't charge startups to engage in our work. Like we're supported by a, a sort of variety of corporates and you know sponsors who want to access the community for business development reasons and you know all that kind of all the smorgasbord of, of sponsors that are super helpful and allow us to, to do our work but we've always been really open and intentionally free to the startups because we want them to get involved and we don't want to just represent a small subset of that group and so like we're out there and we can put i'm sure like our contact details in the in the info for the podcast and you know you can find codec on Twitter at Codec at C O A D E C, um, but also you know our website and lots of other exciting channels where you can just reach out to us and, and have a chat. Really, because I think you know I kind of talked a lot about specific areas of work we're doing and and things that we kind of have an ongoing basis. But the other side of our work, the thing I probably spend five to ten percent of my time doing, and my team spends the same, is just talking to individual founders about what they're doing and what their challenges are. And, you know, actually, funnily enough, Will, I know you put us in touch with someone who we spoke to yesterday about this and, and their sort of direct experience of government. And, and like, 
you know, how we can be helpful. And so like, we, you know, we're always interested in those stories and conversations as well. And, and it's very much an open door. So, so do reach out. Awesome. Yeah. We'll put all the links in and give you even more. Work very too. kind of you. Will. thanks. <laughs> That's what we're here for. The only other thing I've got on my kind of list to quickly talk through, um, you did a clubhouse chat of Rishi Sunak recently. I think that was a world first. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think so. I, I don't. Well, certainly, saying the world first of like a British <laughs> chancellor going on clubhouse. I don't know. About, I don't know. I don't know. So, so I'd seen some, and do you know what it was? I'd seen some politicians do it, but not. I don't. I don't think anybody of yeah. the sort of level of, of Rishi. I think it's fair to say there were quite. There's quite a few MPs actually that have, that have been doing it for. They've been doing it for a while, uh, and then there's a, there were a couple of like sort of. I think it's fair to say slightly second-rate American politicians who'd, who'd been on, but like, but yeah, certainly I think Rishi was was relative, like you know, it's, it's a pretty good get to get get the chancellor on Clubhouse. You know. uh, so how did that come about? Yeah, so, so do you know what? Actually, so we you know talk about opportunity. Like, so one of the things that we were really conscious of is is like we're always looking for ways to engage startups where they are, right? And it comes to that same conversation we were having earlier about what is it that you know, that that we can do to build those bridges between policymakers and, and the community. And we've been working with Rishi's team really closely on a wide range of issues. So if you look in the budget in March, I think there are sort of five or six policy areas that we've been really keen on and, and driving on that they included in the budget. So whether that's um, things like reforms to R&D tax credits that allow startups to claim for things that they consider modern R&D, but the system currently doesn't so data data sets and cloud computing costs and all that sort of stuff that's core to modern r&d but wasn't reflected in the you know policy so they they've got a consultation going on that i literally this morning just uh, did a round table with treasury and a bunch of founders on uh, reforms to stock options um which is going to be a big push that again will hopefully improve our, our, our sort of enterprise management incentive system around share options and making sure that's up to date you know there was lots of stuff on reforms to pension funds that will allow people to access, you know, uh, pension funds to invest more into the venture and allow more capital to flow into the system. And so there's, you know, and then the visas and lots of other stuff. And so there's loads that uh, the Treasury had been doing and they were in the market, I guess, for innovative ways to sort of yeah. tell that story to the community. And I said, well, I've got an idea. And, and it's actually, it was really good because, so there's a guy called Cass, Cass Horowitz um, who uh, is the Chancellor's Special Advisor and is really in charge of sort of brand rishi for want of a better description and does all of the the sort of innovative com stuff that that rishi does and and he you know comes from startup world cast he had his own consultancy that that did branding for a bunch of startups before he became the special advisor to the chancellor and so you know he's familiar with these kind of platforms and i'm sure he himself you know i think at the time i shared a clubhouse invite with him back in the day when it was when it was cool and uh, and so yeah they you know they were really keen to do it and um we suggested it and said, why don't, why don't we get him on and we'll get some great founders on to have a chat. And, and that's what we did. So we kind of had, yeah, 3000 people like listening in, which was really cool. So we had Johnny from Hoppin. We had um, Camille from Plural AI. Uh, we had Romy from Pension B, um, Zach Parrott from Plaid, actually from, from the States uh, and Harry Stebbings um, from 20 BC. So, you know, we, we had, yeah. So we had a really good, a good mix of folks to have a chat with Rishi about what the treasury is doing and, you know, it, it, I, politicians are always looking for ways to kind of tell their tell their little story. I think the the interesting thing about the chancellor is, um, you know, you, you really get like Rishi's friends are tech entrepreneurs. Do you know what I mean? Isn't like you get isn't he he understands the world of of technology sector very well. He went to Stanford. Like it's he's sort of he you know 
when we were working on the future fund actually and the bailout package one of the things that was most striking is i don't think there's anybody in the treasury building who understands a venture investment better than the chancellor himself and it's because he sort of comes from that world and i think so he's always very comfortable communicating in that environment and you know making jokes about observer rights to to boards that he's now invested in and and like and that's that's pretty cool thing to see you know that you can get a but I, I, I was joking the other I can't imagine Philip Hammond having done something on Clubhouse. And I think that that's like, that's, that's sort of how we, how we see it, really. So it was pretty fun. Yeah, awesome. As I said, that's the last thing on my list. Is there, is there anything you've got coming up or anything you're up to at the moment that you want to kind of quickly touch on or talk through? Yeah, lots of stuff. So, I mean, there's, there's loads of different bits, really. I mean, I think the big thing is, like I said, when I took over at Codec in 2018 and for about eight years, it was a relatively small operation with sort of one one man and the dog um and now there are six of us so we're growing every day and we're building our work and we're covering off not just the areas that i've touched on today but a whole realm of you know new stuff around things like fintech and the gig economy and uh we're doing something on cultivated meats at the moment um and so there's always new projects and ideas and you know we're always keen for more and more people to get involved so like I said, you know, we touched on it earlier, but do just reach out. We'd love to say hi and, and have a chat with whoever in the community about what, what they're doing, what they're building, you know, how we can be helpful in engaging government. And so that's the main thing really is like really keen to collaborate with folks in the community and pull them in to speak to MPs and policymakers about what they want and, and how we can help them get it. So Awesome. Well, on that positive note, let's call it a day. Thank you very much for your time. Look forward to hopefully having you back at sometime soon or sometime in the future when there's more good work that you've put out that's making making waves in the tech ecosystem. And yeah, we'll put all the links to Codec in the description. And if anyone wants to have a chat with Dom, we can put you in touch as well. So thanks for your, thanks for your time and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks, Will. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information about Meta and the work we do, head to our website, meta.partners. There you'll be able to find links to our blog, the company LinkedIn page, and more information about the team as well. If you have any questions about today's episode or suggestions for future shows, our Twitter handle is at metatalks, all one word, and you'll also be able to find the team there as well. We'll be back with a new episode of the podcast, Meta Talks, sometime soon. So until next time, have a good one.